This is the Poison Terminator podcast. My name is uh, Carlo Diolim. There have been reports of the presence of a toxic blue-green algae in lakes and rivers of Oregon, Illinois, and North Dakota. In this episode, my guest, Dr. Theo Dreher, is here to tell us about the health effects of blue-green algae and how to reduce our exposure to these toxic organisms. Dr. Dreher is a professor in the Department of Microbiology at the College of Agricultural Science of Oregon State University. Dr. Dreher also conducts research on cyanobacterial blooms in lakes and reservoirs. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dreher. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, Dr. Dreher, what causes the appearance of uh, blue-green algae in uh, fresh water? Well, they're a natural component of the living organisms in waters, but uh, when we get a lot of them, it's because of a few things, a few factors coming together. It's generally during warmer periods. It's generally, in, it's going to be in still water rather than in flowing rivers, so in reservoirs or lakes, and very large populations are driven by uh, excess nutrients, and those sort of nutrients can They can occasionally be, be natural, but mostly they're from runoff, from pollution, um, say from fertilizers, farming contributes, uh, city runoff, um, leaking septic tanks around sort of rural lakes that, that, that are surrounded by houses, those, those sort of things. Cyanobacteria and um, blue-green algae, are they the same things? Yes, they're, they're alternative terms. Yep. Al algae is the term used commonly for green organisms or phytoplankton. Plankton meaning small organisms that you really have to look at under the microscope. Phyto, you know, plants, so they're green, photosynthetic, primary producers. Uh, there are really quite a lot of different types, but the cyanobacteria uh, or the blue-green algae uh, are the only ones that are bacterial. The other ones are eukaryotic or, or, or more closely related to us. Uh, but these are, these are bacteria and cyano because they've got a blue-green color when, when they're broken open. Some, sometimes there are other pigments so that they can sometimes look reddish or quite green or, or blue-green. Uh, can we be affected by, let's say, uh, taking a, a bat in this uh, water or swimming in the lake? Um, not dangerously, uh, unless you take it in. It doesn't transfer, the toxins don't transfer across the skin, or at least not barely. Um, but, but some people do have a contact dermatitis. So that would be sort of like an itch or a rash or something. And um, that varies a lot amongst people, but that can be unpleasant. Uh, you, you can also breathe in the material. So if there's, um, say, water skiing, or if there's some activity that that um, you know, throws water droplets containing the, the bloom of cyanobacteria into the air and you can breathe that in. You know, you might, you might get a bit of a dose that way, but probably, again, it's not going to be really dangerous, but never a good thing. But what are the health effects produced by uh, blue-green uh, algae? Yeah, there are, there are a few different types. There, there are two, two main types. There's a neurotoxic type, so that can lead to paralysis quite quickly. And um, so you can't breathe and, and so you would die uh, from that. Um, or liver toxicity. And the liver toxicity is probably the most common type. Uh, that's sort of the symptoms overlap a bit from, uh, with poisonous mushroom consumption. <clears throat> so the, some of the toxins can attack the liver and lead to loss of liver function. 
are there people more uh, susceptible to the effects of uh, blue-green algae? Uh, probably, although we don't know about that. There probably is a variation. Uh, what we do know is that children, because um, the so the, the ratio of the intake, the dose you would get, uh, to the body weight, of course, for all toxins is dangerous. It, it is an important factor. And so children being a small body weight, I mean, they probably don't drink as much, but but let's say if they're swimming, probably, and, and young children aren't very skilled swimmers, they will tend to take on more water. So those those are probably the circumstances that lead to differential effects. Is there an antidote for... Uh blue-green algae? No, no, we don't have an antidote. Do uh, blue-green algae produce a, an odor in the water or a, or a cloudiness in the water? Yeah, actually, well, yeah, both. Turbidity, we call it, so turbid, um, so that the, the visibility through the water is impacted, a bit like it would be if you have a lot of turbulence and, and, and the wind would kick up sediment or soil and clay from the bottom but it's because of, of all the material. But the other thing, yeah, the odour, that's, an, that's another thing. Actually, the drinking water utilities uh, historically have been most affected by complaints about the odour that can be associated, a, a, taste, a taste taint or an odour, a bit unpleasant, a bit sort of musty, a bit like soil, that can be associated with, with water that's, that has the blue-green algae. Now, there are, there are some other bacterial producers of similar odour compounds too. So it's not always the cyanobacteria, but it, but it can be. So that's not at all dangerous. It's, it's not known to have any negative health effects, but, but we are very sensitive to these odours. And so as I say, and we cannot detect the toxins. We, we, we cannot sense that we're, we're taking in toxins, but, but, but people are certainly very aware of drinking tainted water that's tainted with these odour compounds. Now, they're, they're not a good predictor of the presence of toxin. So there's, there's not a useful sort of connection between our, um, our very good ability to, to detect these odour compounds. Are there methods to remove um, blue-green algae from uh, drinking water at home? At home? Uh, well, no, boiling doesn't help. The, the, the toxins are inside the cells almost always. If the cell breaks, then they'll be released and be soluble in the water. So uh, good ways to get rid of it is to, uh, to filter away the cells. Now, you know, if you were to do that camping, that probably would, would work. But then you've got um, the cells inside the filter and probably ultimately they will, will break and release the toxins perhaps into the next batch of water that you filter if you've stored the filter for a little while. You know, it's not something that you want to do without having some expert knowledge. The activated charcoal can remove the free, that is, the, the dissolved toxin. But normally the best way is to, for, for a treatment, water treatment plant, for instance, would be to remove the cells first by filtration and get rid of them. And then if there's any toxin remaining, uh, treat that with, with some means, and, and activated charcoal is a very commonly used one. Are a water treatment facility well equipped to deal with the blue-green algae? Yeah, most are, but you know, occasionally one's caught by surprise, like like the city of Salem was. Is it safe to uh, eat fish from uh, contaminated lakes? Uh, yeah, fish can take up um, 
toxins. It sort of depends whether whether they're plant eating or or flesh eating uh, to some degree. And the, the the usual recommendation is that the fillet or the muscle is probably okay, but but to throw away the viscera and 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 everything else. But you know, I I wouldn't be recommending that people fish and consume fish when there's a bloom. Do uh, vegetables and fruits uh, washed with uh, contaminated water uh, retain uh, blue? Yeah, people are starting to get more and more concerned about irrigation that uses contaminated water, um, and so there's yeah there's evidence that that could be a problem. It sort of you know depends on how it's used and what the dosage is and and so on. What advice would you give to uh, people who are in a city that uh, has water that is uh, contaminated with uh, blue green uh, algae? Well, I'd I'd rely on the the city water system to be on top of it and sort of figure out if you've um, if if that is the case if there's any reason to have to not trust the the water utility. I, you know, I I don't think in the U.S. we we have a problem of that sort because everybody's aware of it. Uh, and the cases of the no drinking cases in Salem and in Toledo were probably very cautious decisions. But, you know, that's what you want to do when there's a, a, a possible risk. So I, I really don't think there's a need for people to switch to bottled water unless that, that's the clear indication from the water utility. Yeah, oh, there, there, there is one other thing, and that can, you asked about fish, but shellfish can bioaccumulate. That is, they can, they can take up toxins from when, when they're exposed to fairly low levels and accumulate it and increase the concentration. So that can be, be quite some source of concern. Uh, and it can happen at a distance. For instance, the, these blooms can be carried down rivers, sometimes for hundreds of miles. And if that happens over a longish period of time, it, it, by, by the time the blooms have gone a couple of hundred miles, they're probably not very concentrated anymore and, and therefore the toxin level isn't going to be so high but but a constant exposure can lead to bioaccumulation so so actually shellfish for instance can have levels that are that are not good to consume and that can happen along the coastline too so these toxins can be carried from rivers from a production point that's that's a, a lake or reservoir inland to the coast and lead to contaminated shellfish along the coast Can lakes with uh, blue-green algae be rehabilitated? Oh yeah, yep. The, well, there's uh, the Lake Erie is a fantastic example. In the uh, several decades ago, it was it was had heavy blooms, and and measures were taken, such as to ban phosphate-containing detergents, to ban ban phosphate in. Uh, oh, hang on to to ban to regulate the use of lawn fertilizers uh, along lake sides. Agriculture was more careful and, and the blooms were under control. Now they've come out of control again because new practices were brought into, in, into measure. But partly uh, the farming uh, community has started to use drainage tiles or drainage pipes that have changed the way the water flows back. And so, so you, know, you know, a new set of, of problems has, 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 has led to the, a resurgence, but good measures were taken to begin with. And there are a couple of cases in Washington state. There was a horror lake uh, around Tacoma that had leaking, uh, had these, the nerve toxin producing uh, cyanobacteria. 
in the uh, 90s, I think 80s and 90s, 1980s and 90s. And most of the, <coughs> the reason for the blooms was fertiliser from a uh, golf course and leaky septic tanks, and those were cleaned up, and that, that horror lake really isn't a horror lake at all anymore. Why did you choose to do uh, research on uh, cyanobacterias? Because we were interested in the health of, of lakes and uh, water bodies, and actually my, I've, most of my career I've worked with viruses, and we were fascinated with the possibility that you could learn about how bacterial viruses regulate the populations of these cyanobacteria and maybe in the future could be used perhaps to limit the, the growth of the blooms. Dr. Dreher, I want to thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast today and uh, showing us ways to protect ourselves from uh, blue-green algae. Good. My pleasure. That's all for today. I'm the Poison Terminator. I will be back next week with another episode. Have a great day.